Welcome to Meet, Act, and Part. A Masonic podcast hosted by Midnight Freemasons Greg Knott, Darren Larners, Todd Creason, and Bill Hosler. The views, opinions and experiences that are expressed by the hosts or guests as individual Freemasons do not reflect the official position of any Grand Lodge, appendant body, or Masonic authority to which the hosts or guests belong. And now on with the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 54. More importantly, welcome to 2023, another great year for Meet Act in part. I wish you a happy new year, even though we're well on our way through the uh, the beginning of the year, and appreciate everybody joining us. Let's take a minute and introduce ourselves. I'm one of your co-hosts, Greg Knott. I'm the one your mother warned you about. I'm Bill Hosler. And I'm Darren Laners. Hey, we're going to just talk about... Uh, some stuff that's been going on tonight uh, for our episode. And I recently attended the Shriners International Membership and Marketing uh, meeting down in Grapevine, Texas. Second year I went. It was another fantastic meeting. And we're going to reflect on some of the things that I heard in the presentations and uh, just some ideas, I think, in this episode that maybe you can think about ways to reinvigorate your Blue Lodge, your Royal Arts Chapter, your Shrine Club, your Grotto, your Scottish Rite, or any other body, or frankly, for that matter, any organization you might be in. So kind of at the high level of the meeting, we had a number of presentations to really make you think about changes in society, changes in uh, what people are doing, and then, of course, how COVID has affected that the last three years. You know, one of the uh, early interesting statistics I saw this came out in a study not too long ago, was the number of people that are going to church has actually now dropped below 50%. And that's the first time since this particular survey has been done over the last few decades that that percentage is that low. And though, of course, we're not a religion, that trend, they're talking about people being involved and in going to things, uh, impacts everything in society, whether that's your Masonic organization, your church group, your veterans groups, your clubs, anything, people, I think, are more isolated now and tend to stay home. So part of this you know, session was, how do you engage people? How do you get them interested in coming? And so that's some of what, uh, what we're going to talk about here a little bit later on. But why don't we just uh, touch base as we get here to 2023. Darren. What have you been up to? No good. Absolutely. <laughs> In all seriousness, let's see. I uh, have been basically put as a full-time editor of the Midnight Freemasons blog. So I have been, uh, I had, I guess I should say, a cry for help at the end of uh December asking for new contributors, of which we have uh, three new uh, guest contributors that it will be moving to regular contributor status. And I want to give their names away because uh, we'll be announcing that on the blog at the end of the month. But uh, so been very busy with getting the blog back up and cranking out new content. 
uh, other areas uh, have uh, continued to head the Grand Royal Arts Chapter education uh, efforts here in the state of Illinois. And we'll be meeting, uh, I'll be setting up a meeting that committee here for the coming week to discuss the rest of the capitular year and our transition into the next uh, most excellent Grand High Priest term. We'll be hopefully speaking with him uh, to discuss kind of what he wants uh, directionally for the educational efforts. And on top of that, also still involved with uh, Grand Lodge of Illinois Educational Committee and uh, continuing uh, helping RJ edit our uh, monthly uh, newsletter, The Lyceum, and uh, Masonically, you know, continuing to help uh, hopefully refocus uh, our lodge in St. Joe to repurpose it to have a mission that will help better serve the community. And um, been preparing at both uh, St. Joe and Homer to receive our district deputy grandmaster uh, here in the next couple of weeks. We had a work day this past Saturday at Homer. Uh, we were pulling things out of the attic to uh, prepare the way to blow some insulation up in that attic. And interestingly enough, I shared this with Greg, but I uh, will share it with you listeners. Of all things that potentially we could have found in a Masonic Lodge, we found a uh, picture that showed the Knights of Pythias Grand Lodge and it was dated October 17th through 19th of 1911. And Greg saw the picture. There were probably, Greg, what do you say, a couple of hundred guys in the picture, I would think? Yeah, at least. It looked like they'd had their, obviously, their Grand Lodge meeting. And uh, it looked like in Springfield, in fr Springfield, Illinois, mm -hmm. in front of the old armory building uh, when I looked at the brickwork on there. Yeah, so that was uh, very interesting to, to find that, uh, you know, but not uh, surprising considering that many guys back in that day were, you know, not only if they were Freemasons, they belonged to other organizations as well, um, you know, the Knights of Pythias, the Oddfellows, so on and so forth. Another thing that uh, I, I found, and I don't think I shared this with Greg, but um, there was a, a little Masonic newsletter that uh, I found that was dated, was from, I believe, 1945. And it was called the uh, Masonic Historology. And the it was uh, volume four from February 27th, 1945, number 21. And was interesting reading some of the articles on that. I have pictures that uh, I can maybe I'll get to build to put on the uh, social media. But one of the uh, most interesting things that uh, that in in my opinion pretty uh, <laughs> for lack of a better and non masonic term ballsy was there as an answer column and one of the questions was must a grandmaster pass an examination on his official visit. And the answer to this was, yes, a grandmaster must pass 
an examination before entering a lodge on his official visit if no one present has sat in open lodge with him. This happened in Wyoming Tower Lodge Number 44 at Hewlett on November 9, 1944, when Grandmaster Sawyer was paying his official visit. Uh, I don't know that uh, here in Illinois that that would be something that somebody would would try to pull, but I just, uh, of all things that caught my eye, that really kind of caught my eye. So anyway, a lot of kind of neat little treasures that we found uh, pulled out of the uh, the attic. There were at least uh, a dozen old wooden fruit crates. So it was just uh, it was just kind of fascinating to to see this time capsule. We found also, interestingly enough, up there what seemed to be notes from uh, a police magistrate, uh, and uh, the earliest date on those was October fourth, eighteen ninety seven. And although the exterior of the uh, these books were not in great condition the pages uh within them are in excellent condition to the point where you know you there's not any water stains or decaying it looks honestly like it could have been written yesterday so um just kind of seeing finding these little things that seemed out of place in masonic lodge but yet uh here they were it was really kind of fascinating to to uh get all this to find this stuff and pull it out of the attic there. So there's more stuff up there, uh, actually, that we still need to pull down. But that was really kind of a highlight of uh, uh, one of a highlight uh, in my Masonic experience, honestly, finding some of these this stuff, uh, these treasures, if you will. Well, that's awesome. And it just shows you dig around these lodge rooms. You don't know what you're going to find because, you know, stuff has sat there for decades. Uh, and so it can give you really a, a, a glimpse in, into the past. Darren alluded to a little bit that uh, we we had a, a couple great meetings at St. Joe Lodge. And uh, Darren said, mentioned we're talking about refocusing. One of the things we're going to do is uh, have a, a master of a nearby lodge. We're going to facilitate a session. And Vance is that master. He's going to facilitate a session to help us guide and put together a plan for the direction that that lodge wants to go more than just the next master's year. And, uh, you know, there was, we had some really frank conversations about, uh, where we wanted to take things. And so, uh, I was very, uh, pleased with what's happened so far. And I think there's some things in motion to follow up that have to happen, but I think, it, it and this kind of leads into our bigger topic of tonight is really lodge activities. And the night we had a, we just had an open forum in our lodge. And, and the purpose of it was, was to talk about various things. But one of the things we heard, one of the common themes was people joined because they wanted to be active and, and learn and make a difference in the community and be engaged and to do things. And so that's what we want to talk about here tonight is what can you do in your various lodges or other bodies that, you know, frankly, will give interest to have members come. And I think part of this framework, when you think about it, it's not just the stated meeting, though certainly you need some focus in that other than just the business part. But what can you do outside of that lodge meeting 
that can engage, you know, not only the members, but their families and, and some of those activities. And so I, when I was at the, uh, the Shrine Marketing meeting, I, uh, I took a picture of a slide and sent it to, uh, to Darren and Bill. And, uh, <clears throat> it just has some really, you know, none of these are earth shattering ideas, but yet when you see them all on a list, maybe Bill can put this list up too when we do some of our social media. They're just things that you can do together. And so just to, I'm going to pick a, a couple at, at random that I'm very interested in. Photography and drones. So I've been on a, I've been, you know, a deep dive on photography lately. And, you know, it'd be fun to find other like-minded people that want to go out and take pictures. You know, maybe we exchange ideas on, you know, how you do a technique on lighting or whatever it is. Or with drones, I've actually, I'm in the middle of taking a class so I can get my, uh, my drone pilot's license. And actually, I've actually met some other Masons that do have drones. And so, you know, those are just two that I pick off this list that when you find somebody else that says, you know, heck, I have an interest in that too. All of a sudden, not only do you have the shared Masonic interest, but you have that same shared life interest too that you can go out and do things with. And so I just, that's what we're going to discuss. I just kicked through some of those ideas. Some are small. Some can be maybe more larger event oriented. But I think at the end of the day, and this is what they, you know, emphasized through and through the various speakers at the meetings was engagement of people and giving them a reason to come and then also to come back and also include the families as much as you can uh, on things. And they, in the shrine, they make it very abundant. You know, the, you know, you have to be a Mason to be a member, but the whole family is included on so many of the events. And I think that's one of the things that has made shrine successful is the fact that they, they have so many ways to engage their membership. So that's what we're going to talk about. What do you see on that list, or what are your thoughts or ideas of things that you you think lodges could do uh, to to generate interest in things? Well, I think from a, a general concept, uh, I would just say that uh, that uh, I think that uh, the Grand Lodge United Grand Lodge of England has had a lot of success with what they call affinity lodges, and those are. Lodges that are built around guys that have similar interests. So, uh, case in point, we have, uh, in Eugle, I know that they have a, a science fiction lodge, which, uh, was, a, was recently founded, uh, recently being in the, the last couple of years, I guess, around guys who were fans of science fiction genre. So, you know, your Trekkies, your Star Wars fans, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you have uh, affinity lodges over there for fans of uh, certain football uh, clubs. You have uh, affinity lodges uh, based on any number of unifying themes over there. And one of the reasons these affinity lodges have taken off is because the United Grand Lodge of England has not made it difficult for men to form new lodges there. And it's something, a lesson we could probably learn uh, 
from here in the States, and I can only speak to my grand jurisdiction of Illinois, but uh, it is, to my knowledge, somewhat, I don't know that difficult is the word, I don't want to say difficult, but that it requires a lot of bureaucratic handling uh, to form a new lodge in the state of Illinois, to the point where a couple years ago, I just wanted to try to understand the process and write an article about it for the Midnight Freemasons blog. And our grand secretary essentially told me that he only gives that information out to people that are serious about doing it. So uh, I don't know exactly how to do that because the information isn't very forthcoming from our Grand Lodge. and uh, It's a Masonic secret. Uh, well, uh, absolutely. And it, it's, uh, to, to, my, to my mind, I would think that a Grand Lodge would want to have as many lodges as possible being, being formed. And instead, uh, you know, we're looking at more and more of them probably uh, either closing or merging with other lodges. And uh, in, in my mind, if it was, if there was an ease on the restrictions of forming a new lodge, we could potentially see lodges that would spring up based on different affinity uh, among brothers, if you will. You know, we have you know, we do have here in uh, the different, uh, you know, we have some Masonic bodies that are based on affinity. For example, we have, you know, the Widow Sons Motorcycle Club, which, uh, you know, is essentially probably was a Masonic body that was formed because you had a bunch of guys come together that liked uh, to ride their motorcycles together and they said hey why can't we have a masonic body or a masonic lodge based upon this this idea of you know riding our motorcycles but also you know involving ourselves in charity and i know that that so the widow sons at least here in illinois are very charitable each year they're giving our grand lodge uh good amount of money uh, to the various Grand Lodge charities that they've raised throughout the year because they are focused on, you know, not only being um, motorcycle enthusiasts, but also in being charitable brethren. And um, in a good, in one sense of the word, it's maybe good that uh, I want to say, and I could be incorrect, but maybe Bill or Greg know, but I thought that maybe the widow sons actually started in in illinois do you know that greg or i i think they did and uh they were in the i think in the chicago region i know we've got a, a local chapter around here and then they caught some momentum and grew and i know got uh recognized by grand lodge of illinois and then i think that helped as they spread to other states and have gotten recognized and and you're right, Darren. They're they're very active, and 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 you know, at least a lot of the local members we know them, and they're not only active there, but they're active in Blue Lodge and and other things, and they they just come together. So here here's a question I have to to Darren's point. Given you know the, the amount of effort it takes to to get a Blue Lodge going, and actually R J, our good friend R J, has written a book on this, how to start a lodge, and it's out there. You can read it. 
Uh, he talks more in a general sense. But I guess my question is, do you need another body or another club or another organization to simply go out and perhaps have some fun? Do you really need an administrative structure around it? And because that's where, you know, you got to have a secretary and you've got to have, you know, uh, these things, you know, is, is that necessary? Uh, you know, and that's, I think that's how so many Masonic bodies have started. I, I wonder, do we really need all that framework around it? Bill, what do you think? Well, you know, in all honesty, I was just sitting here thinking the same thing. Darren pretty much took part I was going to talk about, about Affinity Lodge. There, in my lodge in Texas is a good example. They have taken the world the first Monday night, I believe it is, of the month. Well, it doesn't matter what day of the month you have it on. But they have families all get together at a local restaurant. They take up like a private room and they might all go have tacos or they might go to, you know, some kind of fish play, whatever, you know, what the people decide on. And they just go, they have fun. Nothing's you know, official. They just go up there. They don't have to keep minutes. They don't have to elect officers or give a charter or anything. They just go have fun. And then they've also went up there and they started the Masonic Education Book Club where they'll pick a, a book like on Amazon and they'll get together once a month. And they'll discuss it. And they'll talk about all the things. They could go for hours at a time. You know, just, there's no time limit and there's no real rules other than that you read the book. Honestly, we've got enough Masonic bodies that we don't need the charter anymore. If you've got four guys in a lodge that want to go hiking on a Saturday, go hiking. You know, I mean, you don't have to make it into a big production. I keep thinking that over the last 150 years, masonry has devolved from a fun organization where you would learn something and become better while you're doing it. It's devolved into nothing but a degree mill and reading a minutes when they have a meeting. And you know, and honestly, that's one of the reasons why the Shrine was started is those men got together at the Knickerbocker Club and they were discussing that shrine that the lodge lodges weren't any fun anymore. And they wanted to have get together and have have fun. They have had their lunch and stuff, and they just kind of evolved into that. But you just, you know, we we we've taken all the joy out of masonry, and this would be a great way to instill it back. There's seven days a week, thirty days to thirty-one days a month. You could have something in every group if they wanted to. Going up there and getting together, they could have their friends and family get together. No pressure, you know. If, if you guys wanted to have a Monopoly night, have a Monopoly night. But you just got to remember, have fun. Spend time with your brothers. Spread cement. That's all you really got to do. It doesn't have to be official. I mean, you were discussing the widow's son. Texas, they're clandestine because they didn't go get, kiss the ring of the Grand Lodge before they started operating there. Same way with the Job's daughters. So, you know, see, it's just it's more bureaucracy when all you need to do is just go have fun. You don't need to be so official in everything. Yeah, I agree, Bill. There's just, I think sometimes, well, I think, you know, Darren and I actually, I think we've got an example. We we started a lunch club a number of years ago that turned into a Masonic body that I won't even mention, won't matter, that we wound down a year or so ago. Just, you know, some of it was just we didn't want to 
mess with the uh, the administrative side of it anymore. And I remember those early lunches we had. Gosh, they were a lot of fun, and we weren't really worried about you know the minutes or, or you know the dues and all that. And I I I think in hindsight, if I was to do it over again, we'd have just kept the informal lunch club part and not worried about adding a Masonic body layered over it is on that. You know, Darren, one of the things they talked about also at the marketing <clears throat> conference I was at was spot on with the one of the talks that you uh, have given uh, about rela- men's relationships and, and the fact of how many men, when, when they're surveyed, say they have few friends or no friends. And the isolation uh, element that's, you know, has grown in society that we're seeing more and more and more. And your, your talk was just exactly what this one particular speaker was, uh, you know, giving us. And I noticed, and you know, you reflect back, Darren, on that talk. And I think we've talked about it on a prior episode here, but, you know, men connecting with one another, that's one of the things they're looking for. And these activities that we're referencing can provide that, you know, method to do that. But if you can, maybe, Darren, reflect again a little bit on on that talk and the importance of men connecting with one another so that they have friendships and that kind of thing. Yeah, first of all, who was that speaker so I can sue him for copyright infringement? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, I don't have any of my notes in front of me, or I, I'd, I'd, I'd sound a lot more official. No, I, I mean he he said a lot of things that you had said too. That just, I'm like, yeah, that's that's it exactly. Uh, I, I think uh, the that what you're referring to is the the presentation I, I gave at the Double Eagle Con that uh, was, I guess, two December's ago now uh, regarding the concept of mature masculinity and how the core values of uh, Scottish Rite Freemasonry um, could help form a lasting mature masculine friendships. Uh, but uh, to, to your point, uh, one of the, the main points that I, I start out my argument is that uh, we have, and this was my statistics were all pre-COVID, so uh, I really should at some point research and, and update statistically um, coming out of COVID where it stands, but that uh, essentially in the last 20 years or so, the percentage of men that had a large friend group uh, has dwindled uh, from being a high percentile to a very low percentile. And you've seen an inverse maybe of, of the trends where you have uh, men that used to say they had maybe 10 or so good or best friends now not able to say that they even have one and uh so this obviously as you pointed out greg leads to an isolation and and depression and statistically the leading number of of men that uh end up committing suicide are uh, middle-aged white men which is for the most part, right in Freemasonry's main demographic, and the the argument was that, and uh, you know, using the core values of Freemasonry, that uh, you can build these mature friendships because you're meeting other men that have 
not only similar interests to you, but also a, a similar makeup. And it's, uh, it's a solution to this friendship crisis, if you will, is, is one that can easily be solved by Freemasonry. And then more importantly, the idea of these men that are, you know, joining Freemasonry, paying it forward and mentoring the next generation of men coming up to uh, potentially join Freemasonry, but just giving them a good whole, a good, uh, positive, mature, uh, masculine role model to, to follow. So uh, in a nutshell, that's essentially what the, uh, what the presentation deals with. Yeah, and that's that's exactly what they were focused on here, and and you know showed uh, they had some uh, a slide or so illustrating the fact that as men get older, forming those relationships becomes even harder it, because you're you, you know you age and you're you're more isolated, and so here again, as Darren said, Freemasonry can help fill that gap, and then there's so many opportunities within the framework of the fraternity that you can get involved in things. And, and there it is. It's a, as Darren said, it's like a ready-made solution uh, to help. And, but yet we need to engage uh, our members, get them going because they'll bring other people. That's, you know, one, one of the other big things too, we had some discussions on was, was of course, not only the marketing side, but on the membership side was we need to be, Frankly, asking people if they're, you know, interested in Freemasonry and and letting them know what it is. We had a a, a lengthy discussion on the old "to be one, ask one," you know, marketing thing, which I, you know, not one of my favorite things. But we we you know said, look, people don't even know we exist, and so by being active in the community, letting people see us, us talking to to others about what Freemasonry is. There's opportunities to outreach to them. And some of those men that we talked about that may not have the friendship relationships that perhaps they did when they grew up or in high school were, uh, were there for them and were ready, uh, ready to do that. Uh, Bill, what's your, you know, your observations and other, you know, you've been involved in other jurisdictions and things. I, I, I think that's, it's not just what Darren and I are seeing here. Uh, it's, it's a universal problem. No, I think it's been everywhere I've been, it's been sort of the same situation, just to a, sometimes a lesser or more of an extent than what other places are. One thing, you know, I was thinking about it. I truly don't have any friends locally because we move around so much. And now that I don't drive, I don't get around very much. So I spend about 98% of my time alone, other than with Tammy. And the, other than we'll go out to do some things on Saturday or go to church Sunday, that's pretty much, I'm at home with the dog the entire time, so I, unless I get to go to Scottish Rite or something. And so it's, that part is absolutely true. It was like, yeah, I guess I thought that was the only issue. I don't I thought that this, I was the only one with this issue. But, you know, it's, we always, you know, we're so accustomed and so trained now to every time we go to go out in the public, is we got to tell people about Freemasons. Oh, you might want to be a Freemason. But I think that's putting the cart before the horse. We had these groups where, say, okay, like, just pick a scenario. 
you have a lodge that are a lot of the members are in the archery. And they go out on Saturdays and they shoot targets with bows and arrows. And if we don't have a really rigid thing with a Tyler or notes and things, titles, they can invite friends. And then that friend can see and Oh, I was like, you guys have a lot of fun. And, then he, and the guy says, if he's happy, he says, oh, yes, yeah. we do this, we do that. It's a great thing. But all we want to do is, is we tend to just make our lodges into uh, degree mills. And then as soon as they're a member, well, you got to go out and, you know, we got to start finding more members because we're going to cheese him off and he's going to leave. And so we keep losing all our best marketing people because we don't treat them right. If we listen to treat our new initiates like good friends and not just set them on the sideline and tell them they're wrong, we've never done it that way before. They're going to go out and they're going to tell their friends, hey, man, I've been joined this Masonic Lodge. Man, I had the greatest time. You want to come out? We're going to go out shooting Saturday. You want to come out and check it out and meet some of the guys? And maybe after a couple months, he must, you know what? I really am having fun with these guys. Maybe I'd like to join that lodge. Even, and it wouldn't cost us a dime to do that. And then we don't have to go around, um, you know, giving away books or bicycles and stuff to get our name in the paper and show how awesome we are. It's word of mouth advertising, which is the cheapest and actually the best kind of advertising there is. Is We have to start, one, treating our people right, get them involved, let them have fun, give them some kind of thing to do, and they're going to be happy as clams, and then they're going to want bring their friends in and their friends are going to want to stay in. And then it becomes like a big multi-level marketing system where, well, I've got two friends and he's got four friends. And we, we just need to start at the very basics, start treating our candidates and our people like we would want to be treated as Masons, not belittle them or not. And just, they're going to be our best selling tools versus all the material or we, we put out in pamphlets or, pictures and newspapers and stuff. This could be a great way to turn masonry around if we were to embrace it. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're onto something, Bill. And it was mentioned uh, really in this conference too. And, and actually, Darren also just alluded to it. And that was mentoring and the ability, you know, your mentor, they don't have to necessarily be older than you. I mean, that's, that's one of the things we talked about, how you can have mentors in a lodge, you know, some are older, some are younger, but what you're doing is learning and sharing their uh, life experiences with you. And I think, Bill, to your point, that's the kind of synergy that brings stuff and people together says, all right, let's go do the archery club. Let's go do the rock climbing. Let's go do the golf or whatever it is. You do those activities and you're right. I think the best word of mouth is always a satisfied customer and they're going to give a referral, so to speak, to their friends. Says, "Yeah, you're right. May you you should be part of this." Absolutely, and they're gonna and they're gonna want to stay because they're having fun, just like the friend is. We don't have to keep building numbers. Numbers are going to build themselves, and then we're going to have the retention that's going to keep those numbers, so we don't have to continually go out and keep yeah bringing more people in. Yeah, they'll stay in. And it's just, it's just, it makes so much sense. I don't know why we don't bob or, you know, why we don't do it. But, you know, as you're saying about mentors, you think about it. And I'm not going to pat ourselves on the back, but in a way with this podcast, we're mentors and the Midnight Freemasons, when they write, they're kind of like mentoring brethren. 
how many times have we gotten letters and pe- people come up to us tell us how much they love our stuff and how much they learn from it? I mean, so in a way, any man who goes out there with a sonic ring and tries to be goo and good or writes or does anything positive for this fraternity is a, men- is a, is a mentor, either virtually or physically. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the, uh, we had an opening speaker, uh, Corey, and uh, Corey is a pastor in South Carolina and is actually a former University of South Carolina football player, was in the NFL for nine years as a linebacker, and since he's left the NFL after a very successful career, he started pastoring and, and public speaking and this kind of thing. But he, he gave a number early that just resonated with me. He, he basically said, it, it, it's the 80 20 rule. You know, he, he just, he looked at us and he goes, I say the same to my parishioners. He goes, most of you are lazy. And, you know, kind of looked around the room and, you know, everybody's like, well, is he talking about me? Is he talking about me? Well, he was. He's talking about all of us. And his point was, so few people are doing the work that a lot of people are just showing up and going through the motions or, of course, don't come at all. But even in the churches, it's the same. He says there's just there's a very small group that it's doing the work. And, of course, none of this is unusual. He goes, think about all these other people that if we weren't lazy, you'd be out talking to your friends about your organization. I thought, yeah, that's that's exactly it. And, and you know, that energy and by doing these activities creates that momentum. And we see it all the time. It's the 80-20 rule in, in masonry. 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. And it actually may be less than 20% doing 90% of the work. But, uh, you know, he's challenged us to get off our duffs collectively and to get out there and get engaged because he goes, you're going to reap the benefits too, personally, because you're learning something or you're engaging with people, you're having friends and all these other things we're talking about. So, Darren, you again, you alluded to those things in your presentation in the mature, you know, masculinity. And so maturity, in a sense, is, don't you think, recognizing the the need to do more, to be engaged more, to get off our duffs? Well, I think one of the main um, problems with Freemasonry is that we do not reward uh, effort properly and let me just kind of uh say this so uh in in freemasonry the idea that one can memorize and parrot back uh ritual and memorize uh how one moves within the lodge is looked upon uh with uh more esteem from Grand Lodge perspective, at least in our jurisdiction, I can't speak for all jurisdictions, than the guys that are doing work to try to promote Freemasonry through various uh, other channels. And and I think that that has, uh, especially at least in our jurisdiction, been somewhat harmful because we have we have and i'm not i don't mean to take anything away from from brethren that that do this you know we've got a a 
very strong member of our our lodge in St. Joe, Jeff Bain, who's studying to be a grand lecturer and, and is put in a lot of work and, and time to do this. And I don't want to take anything away from Jeff or our other grand lecturers. But my broader point is that uh, we uh, sit in a Masonic Lodge and have this idea that it should be a level playing field. But yet within Freemasonry itself, it's not a level playing field that we have this concept of even in our our silly titles. And, you know, I think that Freemasonry probably started to go off the rails when we started to decide that instead of calling each other brother, we decided, well, you've been a worshipful master, so you should be a worshipful brother, or you've served as a grand lecturer, so you should be a right worshipful brother. And and so we have this idea of uh, this body or this organization that, that on the surface should have equality across you know its membership and we preach equality in in our lodges and that no man is above another i understand that there needs to be an organizational structure i understand all these things i just think that uh that freemasonry seems to be sometimes and oftentimes more concerned with the titles and with with the with that than the actual Freemasonry, which is, as Bill alluded to, the spreading of the cement of brotherly love. So I think that that we need to get back to a, I don't know if it's a more pure form of Freemasonry or if it is a more simplistic form of Freemasonry, but that that we need to have all the brethren be on the level and that means across the board and that that we i guess let me go back a second i think in doing so i think that if we were to and something that we're trying to do at st joe again that that each lodge needs to decide what they want their identity to be. And I think that the lodges that have a firm grasp on what their identity is are the lodges that you see are going uh, that are more successful. And just in our local area, I can point to two. We have a lodge in Sydney, which is a very small farming town, smaller, I'd say, than or maybe equal to St. Joe. I don't know population wise where where Sydney ranks over St. Joe, but there are there essentially was, as, as Bill said, a guy, you know, they got some members in that brought in their friends, brought in their cousins, brought in, you know, their whoever they could bring in. And they are uh, working towards this common goal. And another lodge close uh, by here would be Muhammad Lodge that has really kind of turned the corner and you have a younger group of Masons that has come in and uh, and when I say younger, I'm speaking Masonically younger. So think of our median age of being 65. Anybody younger than that is who I'm going to say is younger. But you have this this core of probably some millennials and Gen Xers that have, uh, you know, really kind of taken the bull by the horns there and turned that lodge around and and are looking to, you know, also now form a uh, another grotto here in the area so you have these uh 
guys that are are doing the work but they're all doing the work and and that there's equity amongst the work being shared and i think that the lodges that we that are struggling are those where like saint joe for a very long time and i'm hoping we turn the corner but for a very long time it was very few of us there doing the work or trying to get things done and that just is not a recipe for success because what happens is that the as you said greg the 20 percent that's doing the 80 percent or 90 percent of the work at some point that 20 percent gets burnt out and so there needs to be a more equal distribution of labor in the quarry for the work to get done i'll get off my i'll get off my high horse now yeah darren i think yeah no i uh, you know hey i just in texas so you can get up on you can get up on that horse no, I think I think if, if, I, if I'm summarizing in the shortest way what you're saying is, you know, really, and we heard this, and that night we had the discussion in St. Joe, is people are looking for substance. And now that can be defined in a, in a variety of ways, but substance in what they're going to get for the time investment they're willing to commit to Freemasonry, not just the money or the dues or whatever, but really, because most people, we have lots of people that'll pay dues, but I think it's that value, that time value proposition that they're looking for substance. And for some people, that is the ritual. And so, you know, that's, that's, that's their area of what they want. But I think for most people, the ritual is simply just the means to, you know, learn about the degrees and, and, and the, uh, the values and whatnot that are contained within those. I think that's, again, we come back to this topic about things you can do outside of the lodge together. That's what they're looking for. And, you know, Bill gave some examples of the book clubs and then those other things. All of those, at, at its core, what, the, what they have in common is people that are coming together, they're enjoying sharing their time with one another, and they're gaining value through those relationships between the mentoring, the friendship, the the you know the knowledge that they they learn from one another <laughs> the camaraderie all of those things to me that's that's really the secret of freemasonry the and i've heard other people talk about this you know that again the degrees and all those are the consistent factor that we use to transmit those messages early on but it's it's the substance after the fact that i think we have the opportunity to do so much more in part of that's through the education part of that's through activities part of that's through team building part of that's through camaraderie part of that's through mentoring part of that's through servant leadership all of that can come together in my mind to help give a person a reason to knock on the door to begin with but once they do and they come in because they're seeking something sometimes they're not always sure what and i think three of us maybe fall into that camp but whatever it is they're seeking if, if if there's nothing there they won't stay long but if there's something there uh they'll come back and you know again it doesn't have to be some grandiose activity every time i think sometimes just the simple act of having a dinner at the lodge before the meeting that gives time where it's it's literally unscripted it's not the formality of the of the opening and whatnot uh I've had some of the most valuable conversations in the dining room 
some in some ways more than I have the the lodge room. So all of those things I think we need to uh, to, to concentrate on. We're getting towards the uh, the end of our hour, and what I want to do is give uh, Bill and Darren see if they've got any last uh, thoughts on this topic, and uh, we'll wrap it up. Bill. Well, it was kind of like you just said, uh, Greg. There's no one way to fix masonry, but yeah, I'll give you a Texas reference since you're you know kind of a closet Texan now. It's kind of like making chili. You need all these different ingredients to make a one really good batch of chili. You got to have, like you said, you got to have the camaraderie. You have to have education. You've got to have an actual meeting, which you know, that's just a part of the part of our organization. You got to have all these different things put together into one big thing. And I'll throw in their respect for all the brethren, not just a few. To really make a good dish and a good a lodge, and if you have, and it's just like if you have a good uh, batch of chili, you're gonna have plenty of people there coming to your place trying to eat it. It's gonna be the same way with a lodge. If you have a great setup, if you have people that are happy, they're gonna love their lodge. They're gonna try to tell others about it, and you're gonna have degree work every night. But we just have to quit getting it through our heads that you know our masonry is just sitting in a room for an hour, you know, paying dues or paying bills and listening to the minutes and then going running out after afterwards and have maybe have a stale piece of cake and some cold coffee on the way out. And then when you do get together it's all about numbers. It's not it's the only numbers it needs to be is the numbers of uh, brethren we keep and we build. It doesn't need to be the numbers that we keep bringing in. And we don't need to, we need to help people, but we also need to help ourselves too. As part of that is Masonic charity, charity to the each other. If you get all those things into one thing, we have an organization that it doesn't matter whether it's Gen Xer, Gen Z, Millennial, whoever it is, they're going to come running. They're going to love it. And I wouldn't be my surprise. A couple of them old boomers might not be too tickled, or might not be too upset either. They might have fun, but we just have to keep trying new things and actually just make our lodge worth coming to instead of some place that you just belong to. Absolutely agree, Darren. Well, I don't know that I could have said that better myself. Uh, what Bill just said, I think. Uh, that you know that the key to a successful lodge is as i said is uh and bill alluded to this as well and you've alluded to it is having uh the brethren that want to do things together and like each other and like each other enough to do things together and i think that the lodges that we see that are more successful are made up of those brethren and uh, regardless of what they like to do together, if they're in education, Masonic educational focus or focused on community outreach or potentially, you know, a book club or uh, some other hobby, uh, golfing, uh, bicycling, hiking, what, whatever that activity is, having the brethren that, that are enjoying each other's companies and enjoying that fellowship regardless of the activity that they're doing i think is is key to success and 
my hope is that uh, we can uh, turn a corner in St. Joe where we come to a uh, consensus where we have a mission and that mission is to uh, not only help, I think we're looking at helping the youth of St. Joe and, and focusing, having more of a youth-centric focus and, and doing things to support, you know, youth charities or youth group organizations or, you know, through uh, charitable efforts supporting uh, groups that, that are in St. Joe that help support children. Uh, but also the hope is that in, in finding our purpose, we can find also reason to enjoy being around each other. And I think that at the end of the day, that's what Freemasonry is all about. It's about the fellowship and it's about the relationships that you build with uh, the brethren in your lodge, but not only your lodge and the other uh, lodges maybe in your area or the bodies that you belong to. It's those relationships and, and learning from each other. And then, you know, as Bill kind of alluded to the uh, maybe indirect mentoring that, that happens when you just share your life experience with another guy, whether they be younger or older, and they share their life experience with you. And uh, it's, you know, kind of that beautiful synergy that happens. And and just a, a shout out here to Bill. I've been as uh, editor of the Midnight Freemasons rerunning Bill's 50-year member series every Wednesday. And uh, I'm going to keep running it until uh, until we're nearing the end. And then I'm going to beg him to uh, get me more uh, 50-year member, member uh, articles because uh, I think that the beauty of that particular series is that it does deal with this relationship between uh, a younger and older Mason and the beautiful relationship they have because they learn from each other's experience and uh and um that's really in in my in my humble opinion very touching and and such a great analogy for what freemasonry at its root is it is that sharing of those experiences and that fellowship between members of all generations and and working towards a common good. Yeah, the beauty of the 50-year member, in my opinion, is, is that almost every one of those have been taken from personal experiences I've had in Freemasonry. You know, I've, I've you know, sometimes I've been pudged, sometimes I've been the old man, but it's always the thing, it's just like, I, um, it's came from a, it's kind of a labor of love of people who, you know, remember, and it kind of brings back a lot of memories sometimes of some of the things that I, you know, did. And some, most of them are pretty good. And I, one of these days, I'm, I'm going to take them all and I'm going to have a couple unpublished ones and I'm going to put them into a book. I do feel tickled that you do reset, redo those because sometimes I've forgotten what I wrote and sometimes like, wow, I'm actually not too bad at that. It's a it's a great series. I encourage everybody to go to the Midnight Freemasons and look at that series. Like Darren said, it's running every Wednesday, and you can go back in time and read those. 
And every one of them, as Bill said, really has an example that you can take out of. And, you know, if there's one theme in that series that, as I've read through it more than once, it's the engagement between the older member and the younger member. Again, their ages really don't matter so much as it is they're talking, they're engaging, they're learning. And so as we wrap this up, my challenge to you and, and to uh, to us personally, of course, as well, is to go be that 20% and, and get engaged in your lodge, get engaged in your other appendant uh, bodies, get engaged in your community and your church and, and other places, and you'll see the rewards to that come back to you tenfold. But you'll also, uh, especially in this day and age when, as we talked about earlier, their their isolation and so many uh, people feel disconnected, you can help them reconnect because the strength of the fraternity really is within the membership and the and the things that we share and learn and, and do together. So uh, hope you've taken a little bit out of this episode. Uh, we've enjoyed doing it for you. Uh, you can find us, you know, again, please share the fact that Meet, Act, and Part is uh, one of your favorite podcasts. Share it with your friends. We're available in all the places you can listen to podcasts uh, at. We've got a Patreon page that you can support us on. Uh, but more importantly, we just thank you for uh, taking uh, a few minutes out of your valuable time to, to listen to us and, and some of the thoughts that we uh, have here in Masonry. So until another exciting episode of Meet, Act, and Part, thank you for being with us. Thank you for listening to Meet, Act, and Part. For more information about our show, visit our website at www.meetactandpart.com. While there, please consider supporting the show by sponsoring us on Patreon. Until we meet again, may we meet Act and